I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have, and if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss texts you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me slash speaking to check my availability. That's acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash speaking. Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes a Goal podcast. If you're new around here, I'm a late bloomer who discovered the power of goals in his mid-30s. Now I'm on a furious mission to create the accelerators I wish I had in my 20s. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today we're talking to Jamie Kern Lima. Who's that? I'm very glad you asked. Jamie is the author of the upcoming book, Worthy, How to Believe You Are Enough and Transform Your Life. She's a New York Times bestselling author of Believe It, a guest teacher of the Life You Want class live with Oprah Winfrey and founder of It Cosmetics, a company she started in her living room and grew to the largest luxury makeup brand in the country. She sold the company to L'Oreal, a billion dollar deal, and became the first female CEO of a brand in 100 year history of L'Oreal. In the 100 year history of L'Oreal, she was the first female CEO. She's amazing, amazing. She's been a Denny's waitress, a struggling entrepreneur, and lived a lifelong journey of rejections and doubt. She's also a really active philanthropist and has done training in more than 100 prisons and shelters across the U.S. and has donated over $40 million in product and funds to help women face the effects of cancer with confidence. She's donated 100% of her author proceeds for both this book, Worthy, and Believe It. And this conversation is super, super fun. I've already recorded it. I always do the intros after, and it was a really fun conversation. Um, Jamie and I got into a lot of the process of what she grew, how she grew it, connecting with Oprah. That's a crazy story too. So I think you're going to love this episode. Let's jump right in. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me. I've been looking forward to this since GLS, where we first actually got to meet. I'm excited you're here with us today. Uh, John, I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this episode. Cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yep. It's going to be fun. So I want to start with a pretty easy question. Were you always a goal-oriented person? So like sometimes we'll have people on the podcast and they'll say, I had a paper out when I was four or like I had a small business in the womb. Like before I was even born, <laughs> I was doing stuff. 
were you always that way or is it something you grew into over time? Like what was, what was your background when it comes to goals and wanting to be excellent and being, you know, high performing? Give us a little yeah. bit of, of the Jamie story. I grew up, you know, I didn't learn until later in life I was adopted. So I didn't know this yet, but I had grown up um, with really great families around me. Uh, and I always felt a little different uh, because I was almost always the only one that had sort of these wild ideas and goals. And I would watch, you know, commercials about uh, some of the world's challenges and think I can solve those. Or <laughs> I, um, I remember saving my Easter candy, trying to figure out if I could actually sell it at school. <laughs> like, so I think I've always had um, goals, uh, you know, one moment in particular um, that I remember, I think it was about eight years old. I remember a Barbara Walters interview with Oprah and Oprah said to her, uh, I, I've always felt like I've had, I've, I'm destined for greatness is what Oprah said. And it caused all this controversy, I think, because people weren't used to someone saying that, especially a woman kind of proclaiming something like that. But I remember as an eight-year-old little girl kind of being like, I, I feel that way too. And, and what I know now and what I definitely didn't know then is I think I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, every single one of us has greatness inside of, of us, every single one of us. Um, and I also know that when it comes to achieving goal, like a big part of why I wrote Worthy is because I have gone after so many goals. There's some goals I've sabotaged in my life and I didn't know why. And kind of the biggest epiphany for me was we don't soar to the level of our goals and dreams. We stay stuck at the level of our self-worth. Mm -hmm. So my whole pursuit of so many of the goals or even just learning to believe and trust I'm worthy of feeling like I have greatness inside of me, which every one of us does. For me, that's been the biggest journey as it as it pertains to goals and dreams. And I think a lot of people, if they're familiar with my story at all, it's probably kind of what Google says, which is like, oh, you know, Denny's waitress builds billion dollar company. Mm -hmm. And that's true. Uh, but my real story when it comes to pursuing goals is either doubting myself out of my own destiny so many times or coming so close. Like a lot of the goals I have had happen and come to pass almost didn't happen because I came so close to, to not believing I'm worthy of them. So that's kind of been my lifelong journey. And I've been obsessed the past few years of understanding the huge difference between self-confidence and self-worth and why for so long I was only self-confident, but, but didn't have self-worth and, and how that can kind of uh, affect our whole lives. So yeah. What does that look like for you when you say, okay, I either would pull back or I'd self-sabotage before I got to the success because I didn't feel worthy of it. What does that look like? Is it you didn't make the follow-up call? Is it that you didn't go to the meeting? You didn't, what is for you, like what are some examples of some self-sabotage that you feel like you do and probably a lot of other people do? There's a lot of people listening to this right now that would go, oh, I've done that. Yeah, so, okay, so this can happen like in our personal lives, professional lives, any of it, right? I, uh, for so long, and I'm talking about not until a couple of years ago, John, I, I didn't know why I would sabotage some things or why I'd stay stuck and feel like, oh, I have a book to offer the world. I have this big, crazy, awesome idea to put out there. And I would stay stuck. Not, and I would tell myself, I just got to, you know, get more skills or I just got to get more experience or all these different mm -hmm. kind of stories. Um, there's one, one moment I'll share with you on what this looks like for me that is very recent. And I sh I'm going to share it because 
I think a lot of people out there maybe have a similar journey to me and that for most of my life, I thought if I just achieve enough um, and or make enough people happy or serve enough or give enough, if I just like please others enough, then I'll be enough. <laughs> I always thought, you know, like, okay, you know, and for a lot of us, maybe anyone listening to you and I right now, if you think to yourself, like, have you ever had a, a, a goal or dream and you thought, once I finally get that thing, then I'll be happy. Um, whether it's like six pack abs or a certain number in the bank account or, you know, a certain job title or being married with kids, whatever, whatever it might be. And then you work so, so, so hard and you finally get the thing and, and you arrive at it. You're like, I thought this was going to make me happy and fulfilled and solve all my problems. And maybe you got to it and you're like happy for a month or a week or a few days. And then before you know it, you still feel like something's missing. Um, and so for most of us, when we get to that point, we just think we need to work harder and achieve more and we keep going and going, go, go. But you know, wherever we go, it's like you take you with you and, mm -hmm. and the pursuit of all those things is important, right? It, it builds self-confidence, uh, and can, you know, fuel the need for growth and contribution, but none of the things we achieve build self-worth. And if we don't also learn how to build strong self-worth, which is very different. A lot of us think we need more self-confidence. What we really need is self-worth. And when we don't learn how to build that also, it looks like sabotaging things. It looks like uh, uh, staying stuck and not going for them or arriving at them and not feeling fulfilled. And so a recent example, um, I, I didn't understand the difference between self-confidence and self-worth just a few years ago. And I was still living what I'll call the lie of believing if I achieve enough, then that's enough and not knowing how to build my own self-worth, which, which is such a different thing. But here's what, here's what that looks like for me. So I mentioned Oprah earlier. I'll use that example. Uh, my whole life, that was who I'd watch in my living room often when I was alone as a little girl. And I always just thought like, one day I'm going to meet her, you know, and, which seemed like a wild kind of unreachable kind of a thing. Uh, especially in all the years where I'm like slicing meat in the deli, waitressing at Denny's, all the things, right? And eventually, uh, this sort of like lifelong dream happened. And I, I met her, I just sold my business uh, it cosmetics, it was all over the press, made the Forbes list, all these things were happening. I had a lot of self confidence at the time. Uh, just a few years ago, met Oprah, had lunch together at her house and uh, a three hour lunch, just the two of us at the very end of it, she handed me her cell phone number. And she said, you can call me anytime. Call me <laughs> anytime. Right? Yeah. I couldn't even believe this. So, but I was like, absolutely, you know, so good meeting you all those yeah. things. John, I did not call her for four years. And in that four-year window, like I thought I knew why I wasn't calling her. I was like, oh, I don't have the perfect thing to say yet. Or, yeah. um, oh, everyone wants something from her. Like I'm going to prove I don't need anything. It's, you know, just yeah. real French. I would tell genuine, myself, I'm a genuine person who doesn't bother her. Yes, all those yeah. stories. And one day... Four years later, I realized the real reason I hadn't called her was because even though I was really confident with all the things going on, on on the outside, I literally deep down inside did not believe I was worthy of being her friend. And that moment, I remember just being like, I remember realizing the difference between my thoughts, which is where self-doubt lives, 
Mm-hmm. And like my knowing, my soul, which is how I hear God talk to me. It's mm-hmm. who I know I am. And it's like my thoughts were saying, you're not enough. You're not worthy. You're not deserving. But my knowing is like, oh my gosh, no, you're an amazing friend. Like Oprah or anyone else is lucky to, you know what I mean? And, and I knew that. And that was when I picked up the phone and called her. And like, we taught a class together this last year. All these things have happened that almost never would have happened. And I think how many other times have I doubted myself out of my own destiny? A ton. But here's, here's what that looked like is because I was really confident, even though the world could have said, oh, wow, you're successful. Inside, I did not believe I was enough. And by the way, John, right now, 80% of women do not believe they're enough. 73% of men feel inadequate and struggle to believe they're enough. It's a real thing. And a lot of us are very good at, 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 at hiding it from the world. And, and, mm-hmm. and especially a lot of people I know with, with okay, listening to you and me right now on this show are similar to you and me, where they have lots of goals and ambitions and all that. And I was so good at, 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 at the external part of that, but I didn't yet realize that all the things I'm doing to, to build, to, to, to accomplish all of my goals and dreams are building a lot of self-confidence, but underneath it all, I have not yet learned how to build self-worth. So that moment changed my life forever in the sense that I became kind of obsessed with how do you truly build self-worth and, and why when you have low self-worth, you stay stuck and don't know why when you have medium self-worth, you'll go for things, but you'll often sabotage them or you'll hit a ceiling or a plateau And when you have medium to high self-worth, at best, you'll go for things and achieve them, but always feel like something's missing. And you feel like, gosh, maybe it's my marriage, maybe it's my partner, maybe something's missing. Or, oh, I'm going to quit my job. I'm just not fulfilled. Something's missing. And we don't know what it is. And it's because underneath it all, we don't have that strong identity level self-worth. It's funny you mentioned the selling the, the company. Because I think you've experienced something that everybody experiences on some level. Yours is just a a very shiny, big level. Like when you sold the company, I guarantee in that moment you weren't like, okay, now I'm enough. That thing, like it was the right number. Like it was a billion dollar sale. It was L'Oreal. You're the first female CEO in the brand in a hundred years. So from the outside, it's every single thing. Like if you made a list of things that the world tells us, this will fix it. This will change it. You'll never feel doubt again. You'll never feel insecure. This is the enough finish line. So you do this thing. Do you remember a moment after it's over? Like maybe you're driving away from, I don't know where this happens, like at a helipad on a yacht. I don't know. You're driving away from the moment and you go, oh, that, or it's a week later. It's like, do you remember a moment where he said, oh yeah, I still got to do work on my self-worth. Like selling the company didn't automatically change that. Do you, do you remember a season like that? Yeah, and 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 whether it's selling your company or it's you know uh, walking down the aisle, you finally got married, aisle, had a yes, baby, whatever. Whatever. The thing. I remember this just powerful realization of of that that famous saying that wherever you go, you still mm-hmm. take you with you. Now it's the same you, but you walk down the aisle. Like it doesn't change anything, right? And so, right after I sold the company. And I gave him my word I would stay three years. I was right away working, still working 100 hour weeks, still trying to hit numbers, still trying to achieve, still trying. Like, it was almost like nothing changed. It was almost like I was still now just trying to prove to L'Oreal they made the, a great decision. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. It was like, you were still trying to prove something. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I still, and I didn't 
fully recognize this. So at the time, I just know like, oh, no, I recognize nothing's changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my bank account looks different. And, and we're raised in this, you know, economic superpower of a country. And, and this has a lot of benefits, but we're raised to believe that those things will solve them. So we should strive really, really hard for them. And, and again, I, I want to say this, like, my, my first book, Believe It, was my story. My second book, Worthy. So Worthy is, is mm-hmm. 20 tactical tools you can apply to your life right now to build self-worth. And, and I think that this is really, really important because, you know, it, it just it impacts every area of your life. And, 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 you know, even after the sale to L'Oreal, I still took me with me. Nothing changed. And I didn't fully understand it but I still felt like I needed to keep achieving. I needed all that. But even though my bank account changed, right. Or someone walked down the aisle, it's that same idea that, that, you know, uh, you know, no matter what, whether it's your personal relationships, your goals, your dreams, your ambitions, like I just know that, that we don't become what we want. We become what we believe we're worthy of and we can change the situation all around us. But if we don't change the situation inside of us, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't all of a sudden solve everything, make you feel, you know? So, and, and I think too, one thing I want to say, cause I think you and I have this in common and a lot of, a lot of people probably um, experiencing the show with us right now do as well is like, we're ambitious. We have goals and dreams and all those things. And sometimes um, people, and that's super important, right? One of the chapters I go into and worthy is about fulfillment and talks about how you need to be building self-confidence and to be growing and to be contributing to something bigger than yourself. Those three things are so three keys to fulfillment, but those three contributing to something bigger, growing continually to grow. It could be growing in your goals. It could be growing in your faith. It could be growing in your, you know, any area um, and building self-confidence, your self-confidence. Those three are important, but they're multiplied by the level of your self-worth to get, you know, true fulfillment. And I think that for the longest time, I came so close to never understanding that self-worth mattered or even really what it was because self-worth and self-confidence are so different, right? Self-confidence is, uh, while it's an internal trait, it's based so much on external things that fluctuate on Mm -hmm. our own assessment of our skills and abilities and how, you know, our willingness to try, how we feel we stack up and compare and measure against others if we're keeping the promises we make to ourselves, how much of the world's definition of success we have. And it fluctuates based on how things are going and it's fragile. And you know, they show this, the study shows like the boxer who wins the fight is 30% more confident instantly. And, but it fluctuates. And then our self-worth is that deep internal knowing that we're worthy of love and belonging exactly as we are, not as our past mistakes, not as we achieve, not as whatever measure of the world's definition of success is happening. And, and they're very different. And we learn that we, we learn to believe what I'm going to call a lie, <laughs> that mm-hmm. if we just achieve all the things, like then, then we're going to feel uh, enough. And, and those things just build all of the self-confidence, which is great. And again, the growth and the contribution, but none of them build self-worth. It's just, it's such a different thing. And it's like the self-confidence is like the big house we're building in life, but the self-worth is the foundation of the house. And we'll only ever feel as fulfilled and as rock solid and as enough as that foundation. Um, And the last thing to say quickly is the one fear a lot of ambitious people have 
think when they understand that the, the difference of self-worth and self-confidence as they wonder, well, if I have self-worth and I, I work really hard to feel enough as who I am, am I going to lose my ambition? Am I going to lose my edge? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, no, actually you're not. When, when, when you build strong self-worth, you actually become more ambitious in the sense that you become more fearless of putting your ideas out there. You're not worried to fall flat on your face and fail because you know, okay, if you do, it might shake your confidence a little, but it cannot touch your self-worth when it's strong. So I've found that, you know, I'd be, I'm more, more ambitious, the stronger my self-worth gets. Uh, and, and, and also for the first time in my life, I'm able to start to enjoy it and feel fulfilled in some of the things I'm doing instead of feeling like it's never enough and I'm never enough. Well, and if you don't, if your self-worth doesn't match your, even if you accomplish a lot, it feels like a mismatch. You can't enjoy it. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you, you, you can't enjoy the thing because it feels like you're wearing somebody else's clothes. Like it's not, yes. so it doesn't line up. There's an idea you talk about in the book that I, I really liked. And it's this idea that you're not crazy. You're just first. Mm. Like you're not crazy. You're just first. That's such a fun soundtrack. This phrase we sometimes talk about on the show, those kind of repetitive, positive thoughts you can listen to. It's like un- unpack that one. You're not crazy. You're just first. Cause I think that's one of those handles. I consider my job. I'm a handle maker. I put handles on ideas so that people can pick them up and bring them into their life. So that's a great handle. Explain that one for the listeners. You're not crazy. You're just first. Yes, it is, um, I think, a life-changing concept to embrace. And I think that it's true of every single person. Uh, For anybody listening with us right now who's ever felt like they're different, like they have to change who they are to fit in, like somehow they have things wrong or odd or quirky about them. Uh, uh, in my experience growing up, you know, I shared, I was uh, adopted and, you know, grew up around five different families, love them all, but always felt like different or odd. And the story I, I shared briefly with you just about wanting to solve the world's problems or having these big ideas. And a lot of them with loving intentions would say things like, you're crazy. You're crazy. Like, who, who do you think you are? you know, that kind of thing. And I think so many of us uh, get tempted because we all crave love and belonging so much that we get tempted to change who we are. We do change who we are to fit in. A lot of us become really strong people pleasers. A lot of us feel like we wake up and put a mask on or a uniform that has our name on it and who the world needs us to be. Uh, and, And we learn to disassociate from who we are. I think who we are isn't enough. Um, and if we are who we are, we won't be loved or we won't belong, all of those things. And when I was in my 20s, um, I was the first of anyone in my family that I know of to ever actually go to counseling, to go to therapy. And I was talking to my therapist about all of these things, uh, uh, including how I've always kind of felt like I don't belong and how sometimes my family members would say words like, you're crazy. And I'm like, and I asked her, I said, am I, (laughs) you know, because like I have these big goals and these dreams and I want to be the first in my family to go to college. And I want to, like, I had all, you know, and, and I'm working really hard and all the things. And And I remember her saying to me, um, you know, no, you're not. I'm really glad you're here, (laughs) but you're not crazy. Um, And she explained that when you're the first in your family to think differently or have big dreams, or maybe, or maybe you're the first in your peer group 
that has different types of ideas or wants to go in really novel directions or you have these creative ideas. She said a lot of times you'll you'll feel different or other. Um, and I just remember having this light bulb moment. It was like, like a light bulb that just burst. It was like, I'm not crazy. I'm just first. And the more I dug into this idea, I'm like, Every single person listening to us right now, if you are brave enough to be in this world who you authentically are, or to launch your business and do it the way you authentically can do, or to, you know, whatever it is, post on social media, share your ideas, all the things. If you're going to do it authentically, by definition, you're first. I don't care if you do what I did and, you know, I I launched a a beauty company. tens of thousands of them. I could have said, oh, my idea, this is a big lie people tell ourselves, my idea, I have nothing special to offer. My idea has been done a billion times, probably by someone who could do it way better than me. Well, I could have said that going into a makeup industry, thousands of companies. But if you're brave enough to do it as who you authentically are in your authentic way, by definition, it's never been done before. By definition, it's first. Similarly, like every single one of us, right? We all know we have unique fingerprints. But we also have unique heartbeats. We have unique tongue prints. Like the iris of your eye is no, it, it, no one in the world has that, right? There's never been anyone who experiences your emotions the way do, you do or has your thoughts or your, you know, sees beauty or art the way you see it. No one has the background you have. Like there has never been another you before. Every person listening, there will never be another you again. By definition, you're first. And therefore, if you actually are brave enough to show up in this world as who you truly are, do not be surprised if not everyone gets it. (laughs) Do not be surprised if you might walk into a room and feel like, why don't I feel like I belong? Don't be surprised if not everyone gets you. Don't be surprised if you put your idea out there and you know in your soul it's going to work one day as your business idea. And maybe these other particular you know, in my experience, the touted visionaries and experts did not think it was going to work for the longest time. They would not bet on it. They wouldn't bring me into their stores. They wouldn't invest in it. And, and, and what I know now is, you know, that even the most touted visionaries, you know, subconsciously, if they haven't seen something done before, there's no social proof it's going to do well or that it's going to work. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing something novel, don't be surprised if people don't think it's going to work or going to be successful. And the thing I've learned is like most people will cheer you on after you make it, right? And so it's like this idea, you're not crazy, you're just first, I think is so freeing because so often the things that we think are odd or quirky or off or crazy or wrong with us are actually the greatest things right with us. Like they're, they're the differences God put in us that, that are part of our calling on this earth. And it like crushes my soul to think how many of us hide in plain sight, downplay our gifts to try to fit in, think something's wrong or odd or quirky about us. So we try to change who we are. When we're not crazy, we're just first. Like literally, whoever needs to hear that today, you are not crazy. You are just first. And yeah, I wrote a whole chapter called You're Not Crazy, You're Just First and Worthy and a whole poem around it uh, because I just think that this is so true. The voice thing and using your authenticity 
authenticity, I think is really fascinating. What do you do when you lose it temporarily? And so for instance, I recently realized, oh, I'm not being as funny as I'm capable of because I think I should be a serious author. And so like, I feel like some of my humor and it's one of my differentiators. I will never out-research Jim Collins. I'll never, you know, out-storytell with empathy Brene Brown, but I will be a lot funnier. Like funny is my, one of my lanes but I can go too serious and lose a thread. What do you do when you lose the thread of Jamie? Like mm. when you, you know, cause whether it's, you know, you outside voices say you need to be a certain way, or you just get really busy and you're going, 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 and you look up, how do you stay true? Cause I always tell people finding your voice is one thing, keeping it's another. And the, your voice is this like the most slippery thing on the planet. How do you keep being Jamie? Yeah, I think I think right away doing a constant check in and feeling it. We feel, we know when we're not in a hundred percent alignment with our assignment, like with who we truly are. Like we know it, we feel it, right? You probably you you mentioning it now that you know you out funny anybody, <laughs> but then you maybe take outside voices and you're being more serious and researching, and you'll feel something's off. And here's the problem is when we feel something's off, by the way, at a fundamental self-worth level, anytime you show up inauthentic in this world, and I go deep into worthy about this because authenticity alone does not automatically guarantee success, but inauthenticity guarantees failure every time over time. And you can look out in the world right now and, and you, so many people, because right now there's no barriers to entry to be an expert yeah, yeah, <laughs> or yeah. any of these things. And there's actually, it's funny, there's a whole chapter in Worthy called Overexposed and Underdeveloped um, and how tempting that can be, uh, which is just a whole other form of, of inauthenticity. But uh, when you show up as anyone other than who you fully are and all that you are, it is, you have a barrier of disconnection number one, between you and everyone else, and people can feel it. I have so many things I want to say right now. Um, uh, uh, Ed Milet, a good friend of mine, always says, for example, that in, in the world of selling, that people don't need to believe in what you're selling. They need to believe that you believe in what you're selling. And the same goes for connection. So many people feel lonely or disconnected and they're trying so hard to connect with the person, but deep inside when they know they're not being their authentic self, they don't believe in the connection with themselves in that moment. And therefore it can be, people can sense that. There's a that. disconnect. There's a disconnect. And so, mm -hmm. and so if you feel you're getting off, off skew, I've done this as well. I mean, every, every human being can relate to this, right? We might walk into a room and be like, I'm trying to be funny when I'm not. <laughs> and you know, you know. Well, you read a joke or read a book that said a speaker should be funny. So you start a speech with a joke yeah. that's not your personality. Yeah. And then you go, now for some content. And you do a, and a hard right turn. Nobody in the audience goes, oh, that was, that was great. Because it's not who you really are. It's not who you really are. And you feel it. And you feel that disconnection, right? And here's the thing that's wild. Let me, let me just use this example. So, when, when this is the power of authenticity, this is why, oh my gosh, it doesn't, you're not crazy, you're dispersed. It does not matter your strengths, your weaknesses, your perceived inadequacies, any of that. Like, like when you are in your authenticity, that is your power. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. And it's why you, 
I'm sure feel it when you're you're funny, but maybe not when you're like less funny and more research. It's like you feel it. And oh, yeah. this played out live in front of me for this eight year window. So we eventually at QVC eventually gave my company one shot live on air. And uh, so I went live to a hundred million homes and presented our product, right. And took this huge risk against all of the, uh, we hired third-party consultants that said, you know, put perfect looking, uh, flawless skin uh, for your models, you know, the same age, no skin challenges. I have hereditary rosacea. I got bright red patches on my face. I'm like, listen, that's not authentic to why I built this business. Like, let me take my makeup off and show my issues. Let me put real women, every age, shape, size, skin tone, skin challenge. And they were mortified at this idea. And I struggled with, okay, I finally have one shot, like live on QVC after years of getting rejected. I drove out there, John, a week ahead of this one airing. I sat in the parking lot in a rental car every day for a week at the QVC headquarters, praying, crying, feeling like, the next time, like when I walk in that building, I might walk out bankrupt forever because they buy, I had to sell over 6,000 units in a 10 minute window to hit their sales goal. We were only selling <laughs> one or two units a day on our website. We, so you had to do 6,000 X in 10 minutes, yes. what you do in a whole day. Like yes. that, that is bonkers. bonkers. Math. And we were down. I mean, we got it. We finally, 22 banks said no. The 23rd oh. bank said, uh, it gave us an SBA loan to cover the inventory. Okay. Everything was on the line. And if it didn't sell, we had to take it back uh, and we weren't paid for it. This is such it. a good moment. This is such an M&M mom spaghetti moment. I love it. It was, and, and here's it. the thing, like I wanted to see to you, I sat in that car and was like, I know I'm just going to be authentic. But for that yeah. week, I sat there feeling like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I was yeah. praying, crying. I felt, I knew the authentic reason why I created this was like literally to try to shift the definition of beauty in the whole beauty industry and, and change it for every little girl out there who's about to start doubting herself, seeing those ads and every grown woman who still does. And I knew why I made it, but so far nothing had really been working and getting traction in, in the business. And I was tempted to do it inauthentically to take the third party consultant's Easy advice. Easy way out. Right. Easy way but I out. thought, well, maybe I'll do it their way. I'll put, you know, what's worked in the past, these kind of, you know, certain type of model of perfect skin, et cetera. And I just remember that moment in the car where I'm like, uh, authenticity does not, you know, automatically guarantee success, but inauthenticity guarantees failure. I know it. And I remember walking in the studio, like sweating profusely through, I had on two pairs of Spanx under my dress, I didn't care how I looked. I was just like sweating yeah. so much. I was trying to like not sweat through my dress on national TV. And I wasn't nervous for television because um, I had done that in my career. But I was like the whole business is on the line. And yeah. and I remember the moment um, the, the 10 minute clock went live. Yeah, I had 10 minutes. And then I learned right before that clock went live, I learned you're not even guaranteed 10 minutes. If you're a minute or two in and you're not hitting these sales goals, your time, you might think you still have eight minutes left. The clock jumps to one minute and you know you're done. Oh, God. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And you Come know you're on. done. So I learned that. And then I, it was like, oh my gosh. I remember the, the moment the clock went live. 
I was like 959, 958. And I remember the moment my bright red before shot, their face came up on national television. I remember walking to all the models, like every age, shape, size, skin tone, like calling them beautiful, meaning it. I remember we were a few minutes in. I didn't know how we were doing, but I knew I wasn't cut yet. So that was huge. And then we got- So you can't tell numbers? Like when do you know in the 10 minutes it's working? Do you know in it or after? No, you'll know something's not working if they're like, keep it moving, like move along, move along or something like that. But you know you're done if it's just bombing and the clock is down to one minute, like they they cut. And um, so I kept going and kept going. I was walking, like I had a, you know, I booked models in their 70s, 80s, like every age, every, you know, mm-hmm. acne, hyperpigmentation, just real people. Like I made that decision to go, okay, like I'm going to trust authenticity is like is the only way. And I remember we got down to the, uh, to, to the, about a minute left and the host says the deep shades almost sold out the tan shade. I was like, <gasps> And then literally at the 10 minute mark, this giant sold out sign came up across the screen. I start crying on national television. And then they like cut from me and went to Dyson vacuum or something. And I remember (laughs) your entire life has changed. And they're like, don't you hate cat hair? Totally. totally. And I I was like, I remember my husband comes rushing through the double doors um, yeah. And I, I remember, I thought he was going to come give me a hug. So I'm sitting there crying and he's like, and he puts his arms up in the air. He's like, we're not going bankrupt. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, real women have spoken. And that, that one airing led to five that year, 101 the next year. Eventually I did over 250 live shows a year on QVC uh, for eight years. But why I brought this up is actually this one point, which is that, in that eight-year window, I got to watch tens of thousands of entrepreneurs, you know, and heads of sales for big companies. You know, Apple, iPhone, like Dyson Vacuum, like every brand goes on QC. So I got to be in the green. You're in the green room for hours, even if you're there for a one-hour show or a 10-minute airing. You're you're there for hours. So I'd meet tens of thousands of entrepreneurs, and at one point, I was like, like literally under one percent make it under 1% ever come back like more than one time, maybe two. It is so hard to hit their sales goals. It is so hard. And you're, you're competing for that one minute of airtime with everyone else. So, so you have to hit as high of numbers, right? And the people that hit the highest numbers. And so over eight years and over a thousand live shows, I remember, you know, asking myself, like, what's that commonality? What's that through line between the very few that make it and it wasn't that they're the best salespeople. It wasn't that their product is the most well-known or that they're like giving the best value you can't find anywhere else or any of those things. It was literally the only commonality that the people who make it and go back over and over and over and build a big business there, the only commonality they have is that they are the same off air in the green room when no one's watching as they are on air. Whether they're introverted and like really quiet and shy and they're that way on air and, you know, kind of geek out over their product or they're like extroverted and just like loud or whether it doesn't matter. But the ones that make it, they're the exact same. And 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 for me, that realization was so empowering and inspiring because I'm like, okay, it's not about your own particular personality. It's that you can't create a true connection with another human being, including your customers through a television screen or social media, unless you're fully showing up as who you are, unless there's that, that congruency. And 
and that alignment. And so I think this, and by the way, some of them were wild and out there and you're like, how the heck? But they're congruent. They're that way in the yeah. green room as they are on air. And so this whole idea of the power of authenticity about you're not crazy, you're just first. Yeah. And when you embrace your firstness, woo, that is when you become unstoppable, right? That's when you see yourself as God made you. Like, like that is when that whole like congruency happens and that's where the magic is. And we all feel it when someone is not that way. We all feel like there's like a little- Yeah, like, you can tell. And audiences can tell. And yeah. you and I have been in some of the same green rooms where like the speaker spoke on like, kindness and was a jerk to the staff in the green room you're like yep. dude you should read your book yeah. you should read the book about being kind to people because you just yelled that they don't have the right water like that's there's a there's a grand canyon jamie i love the book i'm gonna recommend it to everybody i know and i hope anybody who listens today can hear that the stories the tactics the writing is from experience um it's one thing to think okay how do i change my self-worth it's another thing to do that over a period of years, to work for decades and have your background and your story and build that into a rich book that has real information and real tactics. And I think that's what you've done. So these are the last two questions. They're super easy. You'll crush them. I could talk to you for hours. Like th that story was fantastic. I could have heard that story over a nine hour period. Last two questions are super easy. One, What's a book you recommend? So obviously worthy, your books, but what's a book either you've given away more than any other? Or like if you said, okay, this is my Mount Rushmore of like encouraging goal-related type books that, I, or I, here's one I come back to again. And like for me, I'd say War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Mm -hmm. I read that one like every other year. It was, it got me at a, you know, out of a creative funk. So what's a book that's been like that for you? Oh my gosh, this is so tough. Um, cause I love people just look at their bookshelf usually like they'll turn, they I'll see do? people turn, turn and go, walls? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah so, so, well, but okay. it, a couple, a couple of good ones. I'm seeing the, the 16 laws of leadership, John Maxwell. He just actually told part of my story in one of them. Um, there's so many, uh, oh my gosh. Um, the power of one more by Ed Milet. That's a recent yep. one that I read that I just love so much. There's, there's so many, the Bible, yeah. <laughs> there's so many, uh, all it takes is a goal. There's so many, <laughs> there's there you so go. many, there you go. Believe perfect, it, perfect. My first book, there's so many, honestly, like, and I'm not saying this just cause I'm launching this book right now, but like worthy for me is I am imagining that, um, for me, it's probably the next decade of my life. What I'm going to be talking at least what I mean, I'm so passionate about it. So my all time. And that comes through. Yeah. Like, that comes through. And I know you don't need to write books. Like that's the yeah. other thing. Like this isn't a, I needed to sell a book. So I wrote a book. Like that's what, there's a lot of people in your position who having accomplished what you accomplished are on a golf course right now. And they're not doing 300 podcast interviews. Like they're not putting their, you know, their heart on the line again with a review with a, is it going to sell? And they like, you're doing a lot of difficult things that I want to honor you for. And to me, that's a reflection of how much you care about the book because you don't have to do any of this hard stuff right now. I just, but you're doing it because you care about people. I feel like God has us go through things in life so then we can actually like go, wow, I made it through that. And then like find our deepest sense of purpose and helping other people make yeah. it through that. You and have to. It starts with self, it ends in service. It yes. always is like, 
this thing started with me. It's going to end in service. If it's real, I think it always goes that way. Yeah. And with Worthy, I'm donating 100% of the proceeds. Like it's literally because I know and, and I feel blessed and to have these wild experiences where I actually accomplish all the things only to realize, oh, that's not it. <laughs> that's yeah. not it. Yeah. If you believe you're worthy, it changes everything. And so I just like, yeah, it's the one thing, you know? And I, and I feel like I don't know anyone talking about, the, oh, self-confidence is totally different. Self-worth. And here's how to actually build it, how it's going to impact every area of your life. And I just... I just think about the ideas that will be birthed, the goals that people will feel yeah. worthy of achieving. When the they things have they'll build, work. the things they'll do. Yeah. yeah. Totally. It's a yeah. mustard seed. It's always a mustard seed. I, yeah. I love that. Okay. My last question, where can people find out more about you, about the book, links, all this stuff? Where, where if stuff. I'm listening right now and I'm like, oh, I want to know more. I want to check out the book. Yeah. Where do people go? So worthybook.com is the best site mm-hmm. um, and it'll take you to anywhere worthy book is sold. So Target, Amazon, all the independent bookstores and yep. um, all of that. And there's like bonus gifts and all the fun things on there. And I'm there on worthybook.com. Also Jamie Kern Lima. Um, I'm probably on Instagram the most of any social Instagram and YouTube both. And um, yeah, I'm just super, I'm super honored and I'm super excited about this. And and also I just want to say thank you to you um, for being so supportive. Like you're, you're so supportive and congruent in like ways that people don't see publicly. You know what I mean? It's very cool. Everyone can, 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 uh, <laughs> put, you know, do all the things right publicly, but like behind the scenes, it's just such a gift to be behind the scenes with you at different events and to see how generous you are um, and supportive you are of other people and congruent you are. So I just want I to say thank that. you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I love that your your husband's good friends with my brother Will. So yes. we have a lot of we have a lot of connections. So yes. I, I think that's really fun. And the next time you come on, I'm gonna ask a lot of questions about what you eat for lunch with Oprah. Like do you send her <laughs> gifts? Like do you guys text ridiculous gifts to eat? I don't I have so many Oprah phone number related questions that really didn't fit in this episode. But the next, the next book, the next episode, I will deep dive into like, you know, those kind of questions. But Jamie, thank you so much for making time for this. You've got a million of these to do. Um, the audience is going to love it. I think it's going to be super encouraging. And everybody, go check out Worthy Book. I think you're going to love it. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my interview with Jamie Kern Lima today. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. The reviews you write are super encouraging. Please make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And please write a review. I'll see you next week. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central 
at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have, and if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss texts you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me slash speaking to check my availability. That's acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash speaking.